Welcome to the PR Resolution Podcast. I'm your host, Stella Bales. In this podcast series, I'll be interviewing experts in emerging areas of PR. We'll be taking those hot topics in public relations, dispelling any myths, breaking down the jargon, so you are completely clued up and ready to speak to your stakeholders by the time you reach the office. If you have any questions around the episode, please feel free to tweet me at Stella Bales. Welcome to the PR Resolution Podcast. I've got a question for you. Question? (laughs) When you're building your PR strategy, is there anything more important than understanding your audience? I don't think there is. And I don't think we've explored it enough on this podcast. So I had to get Alex Judd in for an interview. Alex has just started a new role at Clarity in London, which is the head of impact and planning. Before that, he was a grading and red consultancy. But Alex has a really unique mind that brings together art and science in building communication strategies. It's fascinating, right? So in my interview with Alex, we totally explore audience, how to discover audiences, and how to put that into a PR strategy. We look back to how PR has done this before. So we look at whether personas are now out of date. We look at the differences between a B2B audience and a B2C audience and how you understand them. We also look at other areas of marketing and whether advertising audience segmentation is useful in public relations. It is, and we explore how. And we also discover how dangerous it is to be looking for insight in an echo chamber, such a big one in PR. Alex also shares how you can get stakeholders and decision makers involved in your discovery at every level of that journey and not just present back at the end, but also how long this kind of process takes if you're going to do it properly. And finally, if you don't have the access to a team like Alex's, a full team of insight analysts, where you can start. So if you are a normal PR practitioner, Working on activation, Alex shares who to follow, what tools to pick up and start using, and how you can truly understand your audience better. This is a good one. Here's Alex. Welcome, Alex, to the PR Resolution Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really wanted to speak to Alex today. I'm so excited. We've had a few chats actually over the past few weeks because we're part of a little group of people who have been exploring search insights for, for PR. As most of the listeners know, it's a, an area that I'm quite passionate about. So watch this space, I guess, for, for that. But we've been having a few chats just around that kind of thing and looking at insights and really bringing that into our PR strategy. And then the reason why I wanted to get Alex on the podcast was because He's recently moved into a new role at Clarity that is the head of impact and planning, but you're bringing art and science together into your insights for communications, which excites me a lot because it's some of the areas that I used to work on. And particularly, listeners will know that I've been chatting a lot and exploring a lot about the audience at the moment and audience feeling especially of what's going on in the world right now and it feels like that's where we need a lot more science in our communications to be able to understand feeling if that makes sense and bringing science into uh, really understanding that data where we can get data from to understand 
and the audience that we're, we're targeting. So, Alex, welcome. I really just want to understand a little bit more about your new role. So can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing at Clarity? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so the, the art and science um, blending is, is definitely um, where I'm at. Funny enough, I remember um, I, did, I did PR as a degree in Bournemouth many moons ago, and one of our first essays there was you had to write, I think it was a thousand words on whether PR is an art or a science and to which I concluded it was both. And then here I am all these years later, still kind of banging the same drum. Um, so, so yeah, my um, role at Clarity, we're a specialist technology PR agency, both B2B and B2C, but very much in a very non-scientific way, topping and tailing a campaign. So, you know, we get, we get a brief across and it's about really interrogating that brief getting getting to the heart of what it means and, and getting to that central insight and strategy to which point I would then work with our kind of really creative guys to, to get that into a, a really good executable space and then at the end of it all making sure we're measuring as effectively as we can so that's the impact side mm. of my title as well. The insight stage is interesting something you just said that clarity is b2b and b2c yeah so- that's quite interesting that, um, well, first of all, you're definitely not just rolling out the same insight <laughs> for, for all clients. That's great. It's always specific. But that's quite interesting, flipping between those different types of headspaces. And that's something that I want to talk about, because I know that from when I was agency side, you could be guilty of sometimes using gut feel sometimes with target audiences and personas, and especially if you are similar to the audience that you are reaching out to. And 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 I know that things have moved on and we really are so much better at using technology to understand our audience better. But how can we really sort of get into the minds more of our audiences? And B2B and B2C together is, is really interesting. Just going on the how we've moved on as an industry. Now, I was, I was yeah, working in PR agencies a few years ago. We were guilty of jumping straight to media. So we would talk about target audience in building a strategy. We'd understand who we were trying to reach, but it would kind of stop at the, this is our target audience. And we I don't remember really going into much more detail of, who are they? What are their passions? What are their desires? What's their triggers? And we would then sort of say, that's our target audience, jump to media. What do they, what do they read? Where, where, like roughly where are they online? But mainly it was, let's do the media list now. Mm-hmm. Have we moved on from there, do you think? Honestly, I think it depends. I mean, obviously I work agency sides and, and sometimes that can come from the briefs that we're getting through. So some brands have really done their research, they show they're working and they want you to really interrogate that to see if you're a good strategic fit. Others are in the kind of more move fast and break things and they, they just want to get their name out there as soon as possible. But I'm a big believer in agencies being consultative and actually, you know, we should be constructively challenging and bringing a fresh approach. And the best agencies to do that, you, you start by putting that audience first. And that isn't just an identification of, yes, the kind of demographics of who you're going for. It goes a lot, it goes a lot deeper than that. Do you use personas? Are they still useful? And can we actually define what personas are? I mean, I know that we used to have an image of 
Jane who lives in Yorkshire or whatever. <laughs> I mean, how are they useful? Do, are they used still? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. And I, I, I've got to say, in my opinion, no, they're not useful. Yeah. Um, I love research, the crafting of insight, but personas are just, they're an indulgence, which costs an awful lot of money. <laughs> which, so, does. you know, the, so those the combination of those two things means, means they're not very useful. Uh, but what is important is segments. And so there's, it's important to define the difference between those two. So personas are basically the agency having a bloody good time. They give, they give, like you said, they give the person a fun name and tell you everything about them. But most of it is completely irrelevant to actually what you're trying to discover. Um, so yeah, Jane from Yorkshire or Romeo from Newcastle, you know, lives in a semi-detached house with his two kids and he plays golf on the weekends. He puts his family first. It's all skirting around the edges. Um, and I feel like if you're writing that sort of stuff, you know, you, you know, you can write a lovely creative novel if you like, but it's, it's not really delivering on a marketing, a marketing perspective. Segmentation on the other hand, that's really laser focused on the audience's relationship with your category. So you're really asking us questions of why do they buy? When do they buy? What influences their purchasing decision? And ultimately it's about unraveling that context and discovering that central insight, which is usually centered on the problem of theirs that brands can uniquely solve. Mm. How do you get to that? So it's through extensive collection of of data ultimately you know whether that comes from and in an ideal world you'd be pulling from a number of different sources you'd be pulling from quantitative data so you know standard market research from qualitative from actually speaking in, in depth to these audiences too from you do it is useful to pull from um media landscape from social from search you've got to kind of jumble it all together which sounds incredibly unscientific but I think that's almost where the, the gut feel comes into in that sense is that every data source has its pros and cons and you kind of have to understand where that comes from and then then from there you have to you have to you, you sort of craft that together cool so it sounds like it's a quite an in-depth process um where are you getting that data from what can what does that data look like yeah, so from a quantitative and qualitative perspective, you know, in an ideal world, you'd be doing your own proprietary stuff. Um, however, the reality is, is that you probably need quite a deep relationship with the client in order to be able to do that. And so a good starting point for something like that is Global Web Index, for example, a huge audience panel of which you kind of dive in and create your own audiences and, and understand their responses to quite a vast array of questions so that's that's very useful there are there are other options out there as well it kind of depends on, on your need but global web index is certainly the kind of easiest and probably most well known out of those you know your your traditional media probably you know people on this podcast would know very well the kind of tools you can use there but um but Sig signals a really good one i think from my perspective You've also got your kind of all-encompassing both traditional and social media analysis companies like a Talkwalker, the Quid and NetBase merger is a really interesting one as well. So that that can be really effective. And of course, if you need to separate out your social, you can. You can be looking at trends data pieces as well. So there are companies out there like a Canvas 8 or an LSN who um, are sort of professional trend watchers. 
very can be very useful certainly from a consumer perspective and then search and, and everything else too yeah it sounds like there's um, all sorts of different kind of options so let's look at b2b quickly because mm. i feel like my experience uh, was always b2c back back when when i did this, this kind of thing um and i feel like there's more available data and it's a little bit easier i don't know if people disagree with that um if you're looking at consumer behavior and it feels like it's more readily available would you agree with that is b2b more difficult to to dive into audience insights or or is it about the same i think i think it is i think it is actually more difficult i think from a consumer side there is an awful lot when i for instance a, a company like global web index very very good at the consumer side of things you know they've got a huge consumer panel um the weaknesses of those kind of audience intelligence tools often comes down to their B2B knowledge because why would you buy into a data set of the sort of 500 credit lenders at the major banks for them people to buy into? There's not enough people to buy that data set to come out of it. So you rely, you have to rely more on proprietary research or your quality or your own kind of qualitative interviews than you do otherwise. So I, I think B2B is more challenging. And, and equally, you know, the, the social landscape on B2B tends to be quite well, even more of an echo chamber than something on the consumer side is. Again, it depends on your subjects. Um, but in those extreme moments where you're you're dealing with target audiences of four figures or three figures, you know, a thousand people, a hundred people they're not talking about the kind of issues that you're interested in online. They're not doing that publicly. And the fact that LinkedIn is a total walled garden to social listening tools is is a particular challenge because they might be doing it on LinkedIn, but it takes quite a fair amount of manual research to be able to dig that out, which is which is fine. You know, you, you can we can certainly do it, but it, from a to- from a consumer side, I can punch in a brand or an issue and I can get so much back straight away so i actually find b2b can be more challenging i think both come with their own unique challenges though from a b2c perspective consumer perspective there's a tendency to want to go for everyone that you possibly can and from a b2b perspective there's the opposite you want to go for for example the it manager and actually when you do proper audience segmentation, the the answer for both is somewhere in the middle. It's so interesting. I feel like there's about five points that you've just said that I want to dive into. <laughs> the point of having the consumer, let's start with that. When you said the uh, the danger is that people want to sort of reach everyone. That does tend to happen, especially in, in PR, doesn't it? I know that when I was PR agency, then I went to an SEO agency. That's when I feel like my target audience insights started to, I, I wouldn't, I don't know if they were better, but it definitely changed. We drilled much more down into behaviours and triggers rather than just like, let's get the biggest amount of people ever to uh, to hear of us. Yep, that's great if you're just trying to increase brand's awareness. But if you're trying to change behaviour, you have to really drill down into more niche audiences, right? And understand what their behaviours are to then understand how to change it. 
Can you use search insight for for B two B? Does that does that help? Because you're saying that it's if you go to a social platform, people in business aren't sharing their thoughts and feelings as much. Do you, where do you gain that kind of insight? I'm, I'm guessing search can help, but or are there other elements? Search can definitely help. It, it's certainly because one of the really key. And I think this is one of those rare instances where a stat by itself can be an insight. I think insight is one of those words that can be overused. And, you know, insights, you've got those 20 bullet points that are all insights. It's kind of not, it's, you know, it's one thing. But one of those statistics that genuinely is, is that about 63% of IT decision makers in an organisation don't sit in the IT department. So if you consider the kind of brand awareness, consideration, preference you need from that broader audience, looking at something as simple as brand search volume to understand awareness is a really good indicator of that. If it's very low, chances and chances are it's probably just the IT managers that have heard of them. If it's if it's much higher, then there's probably that broader, that's broader awareness and buy-in from other people. In some, because in some instances, you know, the kind of if you're working in a very niche B2B space, even the category that you operate in isn't searched for. And so in some instances, it's the opposite. And search can be very useful in, in informing what that category is called, because sometimes, and this can happen in both B2B and B2C, but the company will want to call their product or service something that is something completely unique. And there's always room for movement-based content. But if there's a real, you know, defined name of whatever this product or category is, then you probably need to be, and that's exactly what you do, I should caveat, then you probably need to be at least playing off that language in in your messaging. So search can be useful in that instance. uh, And it can also be useful in, in both how many people and how they're searching for a brand as well. Do you find you said it right at the beginning that you, especially in your role at Clarity right now, that you sort of head and tail a campaign, the insight, and then and then measure. Conceive just based on what you've said that this kind of research is really important almost throughout, like so to understand who the audience might be, but then also you need to understand the audience to then get the right objective for yeah. a, for a campaign. And then you'd need that research to really understand the objective. And then do you do sort of layers of this research? Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a really good question, actually. And you're absolutely right when it comes to what that objective is. That's where you need to be benchmarking. You need to pick that segment that you're targeting and you need to get a benchmark of whatever their awareness, preference, et cetera, is. Whatever, whatever it is you're, you, you, you think that you should be trying to solve in that instance. And then that's it. You've got your benchmark. Then you set yourself, it's that age-old acronym of SMART, Specific, Measurable, Attainable, Realistic, Timely. And you set that objective for the next 12 months. And actually, that objective is for all of that brand activation stuff that's going on. It's not, if you're one of, you know, if you're working alongside the, the ad agency, you know, the creative agency, that is an objective for all of you that you're all accountable for. It's not just for PR. And then the way you break that down, particularly from a PR perspective, is you've got to make sure that you set your own sort of you know, mini KPIs 
when it comes to coverage, key message pull through, making sure you're getting that stuff from target media, you know, getting getting those basics right. Because if you can prove you've reached X amount of the target audience through your target media with X number of key messages and nothing changed over the course of those 12 months, well, actually, it was the key messages probably that got in the way there. They didn't really work. If we know our target audience is reading these titles and it didn't make a difference or didn't make the difference we wanted it to, then, okay, we probably need to revisit what our strategy is here. The segment's still right, but the tip of the key message is not. And you can, you can move on that. And it obviously depends how quickly you want to be measuring this stuff. Depending on how much activity you're doing, you may want to do it quarterly. You may want to do it biannually. You may want to do it annually. But based on those findings, you can then pivot from there. This podcast is brought to you by CoverageBook, the reporting tool that's made by PR people for PR people. Head to CoverageBook.com for your free trial. Do you find that, I guess it varies depending on the client, but if a client says, right, this is our audience, we know this is our audience, but can you just do some insight into what they're feeling right now? Have you ever sort of done that research and then realised that maybe their target audience is not as it seems, that, that it may be it's a, a different type of target that they should be going after? Yeah, I think it's, it's challenging when you work with, yeah, when you work in-house with just with with one brand or, or one kind of master brand, you know that that is your professional life. It's thinking about that all the time, and so it can be very difficult to put yourself in the mind of the target audience. You know, and that's where I think that a consultative approach from an agency is is really where our value is. It's our it's our fresh emotion and fresh thinking. So yes, that does that does come up. But actually, you know, when you do it and you do it right, you present that back to, to you present that back, and people on the client side see that, and they think, yeah, that's absolutely right, and it, and it and it flips the thinking in the right way. The the difficulties can come if if that's not accepted. Part of it may be because you, you know the the emotional buy-in towards that insight from, from the client is quite strong, but part of it can also be an agency side as well. You know, I don't think there's anything wrong with coming into a piece of research with a hypothesis, what you're trying to find out, because you may, like you say, you may you may hear the brief and think, I'm not sure about that, and I think it's a healthy amount of skepticism is good, and a hypothesis to your research is good as well, but you've got to be careful of confirmation bias when you're doing your own research and just picking out things that you feel like they fit. And that's why it's so important to get buy-in on that process when you're doing proper research and strategic work. I'm a big believer in collaboration and rather than kind of hiding away for a few days in a room and then coming up with this big aha moment Two days later, you know, you've got to keep talking to your audience if you if you can and have access to, um, to the team around you, to the client, you know, bring them on that journey with you, because otherwise there is so much risk involved with just coming up with this big reveal, which could just be a you could fall flat on your face. And you 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 mitigate that by by bringing people in. Yeah, I can imagine that. I mean, everybody knows who listens that 
I work on coverage book and answer the public coverage book I feel obviously it's aimed at people who work in PR who do reporting and having been involved in building that tool for my old PR team and been in that position where I was doing that job if an agency that we worked with said you know what I think you I think it's the wrong kind of audience I think you should go after somebody else I, that would be an issue for me yeah, yeah. so yeah. yeah and that's because I love, live and breathe coverage books so yeah I can understand that you'd absolutely have to be looking at that as a collaborative approach that they're discovering that at the same time and it's not just somebody because yeah, the door would be shut yeah something you mentioned just there about bringing people on that journey and and also, you said confirmation bias. How can people really be sure that they are not going into that sort of subconscious bias mode when thinking about audiences? Yeah, I think it comes from both internal and external. So internal from the kind of marketing team perspective, whether that is your from from you know the client's perspective, an agency perspective, whoever's involved within that strategic process. You know, equality, diversity and inclusion is really important in yeah. that instance. So, yeah, so I am a white male and even something as simple as that demographic means that I would find it difficult to think in another person from another, a different ethnic background or a different sexuality. You know, I'm, I'm straight. So I would find it difficult to really get into the head of someone who is very different from me. And so having that diversity within your team is really important. I know some, I know EDI is a subject that Clarity takes very seriously too, which is great um, because it is important industry-wise. Outside of that is the external stuff. So actually having that qualitative conversation with your audience is really really key there too and and just listening and getting that real depth beyond the data um, that you wouldn't otherwise get yeah especially in PR if if the objective is increased brand awareness <laughs> and it's like big audience I mean it's almost impossible to have not almost was it is impossible to have representation of absolutely everybody in a team and there's definitely things that there's ways that we can improve especially when there's most PR agencies are based in London and in Shoreditch (laughs) Uh, so yeah there's obviously issues going to be there but I think if we are it is impossible to have a representation of everybody so if we if we're doing a global campaign and we're trying to understand people in Paris you know and we are a team of uh, British people in Shoreditch it's going to be ridiculous so to try and understand that so that's why this kind of you need both don't you need good diversity in team representation in teams but also this this kind of research as well um so much so there are lots of ways you can split an audience you know when you're looking at at different labels and demographics and all those kind of different areas but what really is the most important thing with that segmentation process is you've you've just got to be problem-led yeah what is the problem that your brand can uniquely solve and then you can after you've segmented your audience that way you can then look into your kind of demographics and psychographics that paint a wider picture of that audience and that can help inform your messaging and and in your channels in part but 
you know, some campaigns, you know, can work brilliantly for absolute mass generally, you know, as long as you've got that problem that you can solve right, that, that insight-driven strategy, which is such a buzzword, but I use insight in the singular rather than the plural. Yeah. And it can, it can really work in that instance. So being, being problem-led, I think, is a, the, the effective way to approach it. Yeah, that makes sense. And I guess like really get into the practicalities of this, like you're saying the problem and then go to the demographic after that. That makes sense to me. And how do you get into the nitty gritty of really finding out sort of needs, interests, passions once you've had you so you have the problem, you have the demographics, then how do you go into that deeper level? Are there, are there particular tools that you use to understand that? How do you understand how people really feel? Because that's that's very different to okay we think that they might be into this kind of thing isn't it yeah it comes back to that sort of melting pot of the data that you have access to you know it's um and and it's reading often it's reading between the lines of what you're actually finding so you know for example search is a great channel to be looking at but it's very functional so often you don't tend to get the kind of nuances that you would get otherwise um social on the other hand is the complete opposite you will get all sorts you know the nuances right there however you tend to find the the kind of the extremes of an audience the polar opposites are the ones that are shouting the loud the loudest so it can be quite you know it can send you in the in the wrong direction um, when it comes to surveys as well, you know, that there's research that shows that people don't necessarily answer surveys as truthfully as you might think. So you've got to sometimes take certain questions with a pinch of salt as well. Um, so that's that's where I think when we talk about gut feel, some of that really comes to the fore, is being able to look at a piece of research and pick out actually what what's the bit that really matters from there because a lot of the times it's not the thing that's staring you right in the face and you tend not you you won't necessarily get that from just doing social listening just doing some you know audience paneling by blending them all together is when you start to notice the kind of more subtle commonalities um almost like you're a, a detective solving a murder uh, with one of those big, big, which is very macabre as a metaphor, but you know, one of those big boards with all the like the pins going between the photos. Yeah. Do you have that? I mean, when when we're in our office days, I mean, it's going to be my next question actually to like, understand what your team looks like and how this works. I mean, do you actually have that? Do you have the string from the from the pins as well? <laughs> I'm certainly going to now. Yeah, no, it's amazing. <laughs> I'm just looking around and saying, okay, I've got a wall behind me. I'm going to start doing this. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have all of the PR agencies for coverage book. You'll have all of your faces. <laughs> that sounds really creepy. I'm not actually going to do that. It does sound really creepy. I was thinking that <laughs> people are going to walk past me in a room. Yeah, it, uh, it's not going to look good. Um, no, I'm a big. I mean, I'm a big fan of a huge, giant whiteboard, which is super simple. But the, just the act of getting something out of your head into something you know really big on the wall and just get it up there. How do you present that? To, do you present it like that to clients? No. So, I mean, we're broadly working off, uh, certainly at the moment anyway, you know, it's, 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 it's PowerPoint decks that you make 
look as pretty as possible. Um, however, what I think is important when you present this stuff back, um, I should add actually that it's not just kind of just PowerPoint. We're always looking at other ways to make that stuff more exciting. But you know, you're kind of the bottom standard is it's got to be a PowerPoint presentation. But um, I think when you present this stuff back, you've got to be very succinct with it. However, I'm also a believer in us showing our own working. So, for example, we'll do a hell of a lot of research on audiences, but actually, you know, we might have 20 slides to present this stuff back. So in actual fact, I've probably got two slides to really go into detail of like how we defined the audiences and what we found and then what that central insight is which is not a lot of room so i'm a, so what i like to do is is give our clients or who we're pitching to access to the kind of data we were working with you know and that and that can just be as simple as like here's here's what we collected in an excel sheet and here are the kind of rough findings we found rough conclusions we drew from those as well and then of course the insights back on that presentation so and that, i think that helps speak to people who you know will want to go and interrogate that too and it shows a more transparent process and a trust that you know we, we haven't just made this up because i think going all the way back to that persona point you know i've sat next to people who have crafted personas based on broadly nothing at all um, but because they were very good writers it's it sounded very plausible mm. um so there i've are seen that happen to yeah. me. <laughs> <laughs> so when you said earlier about uh, you might you may as well be writing a novel it's like yeah they were great storytellers yeah. and they had the whole room captivated but i know <laughs> there wasn't a great deal of insight that went into that <laughs> exactly so to kind of you know then there'll be people who are very rightly so very skeptical of the limited of the kind of summary that you've presented because the, the next question is what's behind it so answering that head on i think you know demonstrates that trust and, and credibility from our side too how long does your process normally take? Because a lot of people listening to this are going to be, majority of people listening to this will be activation comms. Mm. And not everyone will have access to a team, to somebody like you or a team like yours, which is going to be my next question, actually. But but yeah, well, how, how long does it normally take to get to the golden nugget of insight that's going to feed the strategy? I, do, I know it's not the answer that people want to hear, but it does depend um which i know is incredibly vague in an ideal world pitch wise we would we would have a two three week running of course that wouldn't be the only thing i would be doing for those two three weeks but it helps to have to do some work leave it for a little while do some more work leave it for a little while and every time you kind of do some work comes with a conclusion feed it back see 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 where people are going with it but actually those gaps in between are where you really find the proper you, you get to that central insight in a much more effective way it's when you're doing the washing up on a sunday afternoon and all of a sudden you think hang on 
and I'd be I'd quickly run to my phone and email myself something that sometimes I read back and I go, oh, no, that's what I'm talking about. But sometimes, sometimes <laughs> it can work. So, you know, you, you, depending on the challenge ahead, it can it can still be a worthwhile exercise to do within a relatively short space of time. You know, the word, some of the ways that we package this, this up, for example, is what we call our kind of audience intelligence packages. So a, a kind of what we call audience intelligence line tends to be somewhere between like a day and a half, two days of our time. An audience intelligence sort of plus really that's where you can really put the accelerator down and you can really start to broaden out from there so it, so it does it does depend but yeah you need to be able to do to be able to give it two or three sprints with some gaps in between before you can then really come to it because if you try and rush it in an afternoon chances are you're either just recycling something that you've done for another client that you feel like that'll probably do the job or you haven't and, and and you haven't reflected on it for long enough and discussed it at length well enough to do it and I think it's important to draw those lines as well and say look like it's, it's only worth doing if we can dedicate this sort of time to it yeah. Um, because you, you you know you don't want to show up with work that is half done because no one benefits from that. So say I'm a P, PR practitioner who has very similar clients, and I've been in a fortunate position to be able to roll out campaigns to sort of similar influencers, similar kind of media. But now is the time to understand audiences a little bit deeper. Where do I start? What is a good place? to start with this kind of thing who doesn't have access to an amazing team like yours yeah so I would start the most cost-effective way and the most valuable way of doing it is simply to use your network and you know most people who who work in PR pride themselves on, on, on the network they have around them to try and get yourself five conversations with people from that target audience really open-ended stuff where you're you're talking broadly around you know the category the product the service to them and the brand as well um trying to find out why they buy you know who they buy with what influences their decision and skirting around that the whole time i think that in itself and learning how to craft that conversation what you can draw from that conversation um, is a really good and ultimately most of the time free way to start. Mm. How is there any help out there to try and ask, know what questions to ask? Yeah, so I'd be looking at um, thought leaders in the space really um, for, for what you can do. I think um, a great industry to draw inspiration from is conversion rate optimization. Mm. Um, you know, people who build landing pages for particularly paid activity you know these guys have to get everything across in such succinct form and really speak to the audience that they they really get it um, and i think it, it can help pr an awful lot so a, a big player in that space who i really like 
and I've never said his surname out loud, but Peep Laja, I think is his name. So P-E-P-P, and then his surname is L-A-J-A. He runs CXL.com. They do a number of training courses, some of which are very technical, um, some of which are more on the kind of broader strategy point. But even just some of the, even the pieces, that the thought pieces that he writes are very valuable in thinking about that way. And to a certain broader extent, some of the daily blogs that you get from someone like a Seth Godin as well kind of help you understand how to guide these things. Because yes, you'll want a set of number of questions that you want covered, but ultimately you want to keep it as flexible as possible. Um, So I think that would be a great place to start. Mm. I guess moving on, uh, so interesting uh, that you mentioned conversion and understanding behaviour in a deeper level, because I felt when I went to a digital marketing agency and I just was surrounded by different types of digital marketing and people who had to understand that to to that level and I I did I was sat next to conversion experts and learned so much just by listening to their conversations and but we do need like you say it's so useful for not just useful for PR it feels like it's essential in the world that we're in now because we are no longer just talking to media I guess that leads me to my sort of next question if where we are at now and looking into the future do you feel that PR agencies well I guess that they need to because you because you are in this team but do you think that all agencies should have this science element as part of the the makeup and as part of the the organization now yeah I really do I really strongly believe that I think that don't get me wrong there there are times when a gut feel an incredible creative idea can and rightly so wins the day but that is not something that is going to happen every time. And so I, I kind of liken it to uh, the way professional sport approaches things. It's about getting a, pr- a really robust process in place and trusting in that process and then the results will come. So actually being able to blend what is PR's you know, main strength, which is in that kind of creative persuasive softer side of things with the kind of data that's you know available to us here in 2021 and combining those together is a really powerful combination so don't get me wrong i i i see the value and i know the value of a really good creative idea that just cuts through everything but as a business you won't grow effectively if that's all you're relying on. Mm. Seems your university paper was right all of those years ago. You <laughs> yeah, do need you? the art and science. <laughs> I love you? that. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Never come across somebody who's been so dedicated to their university paper. <laughs> I'd like to read that. I think it's, would you ever share it? <laughs> oh, do you know what? It's pretty, it'll be somewhere, won't it? I'll have to try and dig it out. You should. You should see if you were making predictions for 2021 in communication. <laughs> <laughs> Alex, it's been absolutely fascinating talking to you. And it's I'm gonna sign up to the to the blogs that you you've mentioned and put it into our own communications for coverage but because I think that no matter what stage we're at with um, our 
data inputs to our insights and our audience segmentation, we are all a little bit guilty of using gut feel sometimes. So I think we can all take so much from this. But thank you so much for your time today and uh, looking forward to reading your university paper. Thank you. It's it's been a pleasure. Really, really enjoyed this chat. This is the PR Resolution Podcast. Keep in touch by following me on Twitter at Stella Bales. For more reading on PR, head to blog.coveragebook.com. Don't forget to tune in to the next episode and make sure you subscribe to the series on iTunes now. See you there.